Present day. <laughs> Present time. <laughs> Welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals for our continued, well, our last coverage of Serial Experiments Lane. I'm Alex. Hey, this is Blexa. And hey, it's Ben. Uh, and this week we're going to do our final installment. Uh, it is layers 12 and 13, if I've got that correct. And we have a fabulous returning guest, someone who I've wanted to have back on for a while. Uh, please welcome Sakura Tetris. Yay, I'm very glad to be back. It's been a year. It's been a year. It's been a while. We're all a little older, a little bolder, you know? So if I remember correctly, you had not watched this before agreeing to come on. Is that correct? I did not watch uh, Lane before agreeing to come on the show. It was on my backlog as one of the classics I should get into. One of the notorious early SF or at least SF shows from my time. Mm. It, when I was actually really into anime before I fell off more recently. Mm -hmm. And... The only thing that I really knew about it was my awareness of it as a multimedia project. So it wasn't just the show, mm. but the audio discs, file sharing, uh, the PS1 game, which is Serial Experiments Lane, Make Me Sad, was its uh, slogan. <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of information out there. And some of some details in the show even push you to go engage with the other aspects of the serial media project made by multiple creators with different perspectives and different retellings of the story. Uh -huh. So all of that is there. Uh, and so I'm going to, I'm going to test you guys a little bit to see if you've been paying attention. <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to fail. Did any of you go to mebius.co.uk? I, I did. I tried to. I typed in Morbius hey. at first, and was like, "All right, so Ben's <laughs> paying attention." Yeah, that that was like her pre the pressure gauge on her mm -hmm. coolant system or whatever, right? Right, and unfortunately, the website no longer works. <sighs> the barcodes are not scannable. I don't read um, Arabic, so I kind of <laughs> got stuck. I didn't have anywhere else to go after that. Wow, you do such good homework. <laughs> so you've checked it out pretty thoroughly. Uh, I hadn't heard about these audio tapes. I'm interested in that. But uh, have you watched the two episodes that we're going to watch today? I have. I've watched the whole series. And I would say these last two episodes are the ones I understand and remember the least. Nice. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, much like uh, the last two episodes of uh, Evangelion. It's perfect. Okay. The site you are talking about has been preserved on lovelane.net. Whoa. Like love, L-A-I-N. See, something I did because I couldn't figure out how to interact with the site at all was that I actually opened up the inspector. There used to be some kind of audio or video file that was within the site, but I couldn't access anymore. It was just a leftover hmm. string that didn't link to anything anymore. Hypertext. <laughs> <laughs> um, so does anybody have anything before we go into it? Yeah, Soka Tetris, uh, you've been covering Warframe. <laughs> I, this has been my project for the year, yeah. Holy fuck. So you've got a seven hour video and that's the short one? Um, okay, so let's explain it a little bit. I released a not originally a nine hour video Jeez. going through the entire extant story of the philosophical and cultural influences of Warframe. And it really blew up. 
It got memed. It got spread on Reddit. It was completely unexpected. And I sort of doubled down and I kind of went back into Warframe just so that I can really experience it from this perspective and share that perspective. And it's gotten a pretty good reception, um, diminishing returns with each video, of course. But I then followed it up by going over what was the big story update, which was the reason for my nine-hour video. Also because I made the nine-hour video so that my fiancé, now wife, uh, can... Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, can actually experience the story of Warframe because actually getting into Warframe and playing it is way too much of a commitment mm. for a full-time nurse to deal with. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> I then made another video on the new war, which was the big story update from that. And then I just continued doing it. I went back and did a philosophical cultural analysis of the Sisters of Parvos quest, the released Echoes of the Zeremin quest, and basically have just tried to catch up with everything Warframe has been and currently is to expose what people think is essentially a non-existent story for the deeply cultural and philosophically informed writing that's actually happening at Digital Extremes through this Games as Service. And I can even connect it to Serial Experiments Lane because <laughs> of the con- the sci-fi concept of transference, which is uh, essentially connecting the human consciousness or uploading it to computers. It plays a central role in the story of both Warframe and Lane. And, and what is Warframe for someone who has never heard of it? Um... Ninjas in space. Space ninjas. It's space ninjas. (laughs) And then it gets real, real sad. Space ninjas, but they all have like a Giver suit, right? Like they all have a a bio suit that they fight in. (laughs) You're almost right. If we have time later, I I do want to ask you more questions about that. But congratulations on like being a part of like the Warframe uh, phenomenon now. I guess. Yeah, I am. I got memed to heck. And now I'm... (laughs) I'm the the lore video that people turn to in the modern day. That's really exciting. It is. I'm very surprised by it. I've gotten a lot of very pleasant feedback and a lot of really nitpicky feedback. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) All right. Sorry. I just needed to geek out about that for a second. No No worries. I'm always down to geek out about Warframe, but with people who actually appreciate it and don't just treat it like um, product. Well, I had to stop because it was costing me too much money which is fair. I have only spent a total of $120 in my entire life on Warframe, which is still a little too much. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you what I've spent. (laughs) I could be a shareholder right now. (laughs) All right, we got to talk about uh, Lane. and Yeah. Yeah. We got a last time on? I do. Last time on Tuesdays with Masami. Lane met the god of the wire, or at least the progenitor of Protocol 7. His parting words to Lane, you no longer need a body, rang untrue to Lane in the moment, but the next day at school, her desk was gone, and no one could notice her except the Alice model NPC. At home, Lane's family was missing until her father showed up for an unapproved goodbye. Seemingly doxxed by Lane, the men in black killed all the knights, then came to strong arm Lane out of the wire, before the taller agent confessed his love for Lane. 
Under a windy sky, Masami Eri tried desperately to tie Lane to him permanently, but Lane banished him for his efforts. We then were treated to a rockin' jazz montage, highlighting our own increasingly digital experience. As far as recaps go, it was pretty damn tight. In a Johnny mnemonic moment, Lane uploaded an emulator of her computer into her own brain, tempting Masami back from the void to taunt her. On the street in her nightgown, Lane was confronted by the first two suicides connected with her, Chisa Yamoda and the gunman from Siberia. Then, in Alice's room, Lane appeared in a gray alien form before wiping out the rumor of Alice and the teacher. Is Lane just a brain in a jar? Can Alice be friends with the Lane in a jar? Let's find out. Are we going to find out? <laughs> Does finding out even matter? Yeah. Oh, there you go. I'm still waiting for a, a Sasquatch or something to show up. A Sasquatch, because I am suspicious. <laughs> All right. Uh, three, two, one, play. You all picked up on the reference to Alice at Wonderland, right? Oh, no, totally missed that. That makes well, sense, though. There you go, Alice. <laughs> do we, Isn't that great? Do we know what these weird Christmas tree things are? What? No, no fucking yeah. clue. Surrealist imagery. I think that, oh. that one that you identified as like being her being in a brain kind of. I think those towers were there. Yeah, it looks like those. You're right. Yeah. It's like something that was really hard for me to grasp, to really understand how we're switching scenes. Mm -hmm. My suspicion is that the wired is not just a metaphorical space, but a literal one. Mm. It's hyper real in that it is literally on top of the real world. And again, because I don't know where you guys have been approaching it, the distinction between light and shadow is sort of where I've started my perspective of the series as an exploration of mental illness, because mm. there are the humming of the wires or seeing patterns in shadows and like overexposed light in, mm. in the bright spaces read to me as auditory and visual hallucinations. Yeah. Like Lane can't see well which is why she has a voice-operated computer. She can't use her eyes well. (gasps) And that contributes to her issue of having auditory and visual hallucinations. She does need glasses. (laughs) It also makes it kind of like a ghost story. Oh, this, this whole series has been horrific. Have you guys not been scared? I was scared watching this whole thing. So, like, the thing that the God of the Wired isn't understanding, that Lane is, is that the technological advancement wasn't needed to create the connection in the first place. It's just existing as a different form. The collective unconscious already existed. Humans were already unified, but now they're unified differently. Yeah, they talk about the night uh, utilizing... The collective unconscious, a la like Carl Jung, before the internet ever existed. So do you see why I said that your question of who's Lane's mom and dad is kind of the wrong question? Yeah, because we're we're theorizing whether like the Lane of the Wired existed first or this physical Lane existed first. And like the question for me now is this Masami Eri, he's like, I found you, I cultivated you like He's saying, like, I created you, Lane, or or maybe I formed you out of all these disparate parts on the internet. But does Lane predate Masami Eri? Was Lane 
a emergent phenomenon of the wired? So let me try to answer this, I guess, from two perspectives, because there's the literal story. And then there's the metaphorical story that plays into concepts of mental health. There's what's going on. And then there's what does it mean for us as an audience? And what's the literal story here is that that experiment that was using trying to harvest the psychic abilities of children to create a proto-internet, proto-wired thing, Mm -hmm. ultimately culminated in the creation of the god in the wired, which is not, in his own words, not god, but the the omnipotence of human information and awareness. Mm -hmm. So he is all information that humans know at any given time at one, like all in one. And that God in the Wired, and this was explained in episode 11, created a child to connect with humanity. It's a Jesus allegory. Created Lane and using resources and his digital connections to the real world, a body was created, a physical body was created for Lane. And then the consciousness that was born in the Wired, that is the Lane of the Wired, was transferred into a physical body to go learn and be human and bridge the gap. And episode 12 is us now seeing the aftermath of the gap between the world of the wired, the hyper reality mm-hmm. of information and connections, and the physical world where people actually exist becoming one and the same. So now information connections, knowledge, and being are all the same, which is why Lane has the ability to say, rewrite people's memories and take away all the bad things. And the rumor of Alice and how that affected her school life, gone. She erased it. Her being weird and not interacting with her friends well, gone. She erased it, which is why she was popular with the girls in the start of episode 12. Yeah. And and she's basically at this point, she's interfered with everyone's memory except for Alice's for some reason. Because Alice is the one person that she really wants to connect with, the, the most trusted apostle, if you want to stick with the Jesus allegory of God creating a child that becomes man, that then bridges man back to God. And then in episode 12 here, Lane is concluding, no, the God of the Wired is not a real god because human connections which supposedly this god created already existed the Mm. collective unconscious human nature was already connected this is just another redundant version of death of that through technology Mm. so so you know you're saying that this god of the internet or whatever created lanes so we had that scene a couple episodes ago where Lane shows up and the family's there kind of waiting for her. Do you, mm-hmm. do you see that? Like, is that like Lane's first day? Like, was she sort of formed as a 14-year-old girl? From my perspective, if the body was formed new, they never really go into it. But from my perspective, I do see it as they downloaded Lane, the consciousness in the wired, directly into a fully formed 14-year-old girl and delivered it to the family. Now that's the literal story. Mm -hmm. The metaphorical story, how Lane is a narrative about 
mental health and mental illness related to schizophrenia and the other not schizophrenia but near related like type a personality disorders is basically saying that her experience of reality is unreliable and she's not necessarily getting the help she needs and so she is basically learning more not how to improve but her delusions her false beliefs and her hallucinations a delusion is a false belief a hallucination is a non-real sense perception they're overlapping with her reality and so she's trying to connect in the only way that she knows how and she was doing it artificially through having an imaginary friend in the in the computer as from as early on as episode 1 when she got that chain letter mm-hmm. and it was read out to her by her computer that mm-hmm. speaks to her a computer designed for special needs for people who are hard of seeing and interact vocally with the computer oh so it's like there's the literal story of lane is lane the characters perception of her own reality whereas the metaphorical story for us as an audience is to perceive that she is perceiving reality in her own way and still trying to form human connections regardless gosh there's so many things to process here <laughs> i know i i'm i'm breaking you all down because i'm like coming in at the very end being like there's more there's multiple ways to look at this story and you have yeah. to look at it on from all of those perspectives at once. Yeah, I I do like kind of looking at it from the mental illness perspective. I think they did do they set it up in a way that you can kind of find lore explanations for everything too and kind of one of the interesting things I played the um a little bit of the PlayStation game someone's done like an English port online now if you go to the yeah. Serial Lane wiki they have a link to it there it's like a GL site thing or something like that it's not an emulator it's it's like an emulator on the web so so they did a good job it is kind of uh annoying just cuz like the way the game design works you have to sort of spend a lot of effort to then find this story but it's sort of like a story told in multiple tracks and you can kind of choose the order between them right. but it's essentially laying at a psychiatrist's office and you hear like her interacting with the psychiatrist and then there's like the psychiatrist like diagnosis you know so the psychiatrist being all like buddy buddy with lane and trying to get her to open up and then there's like the mode where she's like talking about why lane's in psychiatry and how she thinks lane is lying to her and I was talking to to Alex about about this game just before we came on as part of the multimedia project the serial experiments project of this show and what's important to remember is that it is accepted canon right now that that is considered a separate continuity unrelated to the story of lane and the anime i really like the concept behind that game because the gameplay is essentially how you use a search engine but it's an archaic search engine and you find disparate fragments of information but all of the information is presented to you at once and it's your job to figure out what happened what the story is from the sum total of all information you're playing the perspective of internet trying to get at the humanity 
it, this year, a very interesting game came out called Immortality, which kind of does the same thing. It's the story of an actress going through her career at different points in her life. And at the same time, it is a story about gender realization. And at the same time, it is a story about an alien force trying to understand and connect with humanity from the outside. <laughs> and so it's like this sort of storytelling where it's the story is, here you go. Here's the whole thing all at once. Now use your limited one person perspective to put it in order, because the truth is all of it all at once. Understanding it is the limitation of the perspective. Connecting to it is the limitation. I personally am working in, on a headcanon that says that the lane of that game is actually the real lane. <gasps> and the lane that we are following in the anime is the lane of the game's imaginative space as she is trying to reconcile her understanding of the world while she is struggling against her mental illness. I really don't want that to be true, but I also kind of think it is true right now. Oh like we're kind of seeing this stuff from the unreliable narrator of the lane of that game. Right. But for now, since we're watching the anime, I think it's best to just continue on from the perspective that they are in fact separate because as a multimedia ARG kind of project that the anime placed itself in, the anime intended itself to be viewed in isolation as an anime and then everything else to be stumbled upon later. Mm. And for one to make participating in the multimedia project of the story a personal experience, a personal story for yourself that isn't just the unitary product of the anime. Wild. <laughs> it's it's so vast and i so get why people are obsessed with it because you can't look at it in isolation once you realize how broad it went with trying to tell this story and every version of the story every artifact that it put out is feeding into creating an understanding of the metaphorical meaning of the stories while each literal story is its own little compartment. The comic, the game, the comics in the game, the, like, <laughs> the audio CDs, like it just goes and goes and goes. It's got layers. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna just throw all the shit out that's like on my mind and then I'll be a little contrary. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of different, um, well, I guess layers, like there's the Alice in Wonderland stuff, there's the mental health stuff. I don't, I'm not into the mental health stuff. And maybe it's because I misunderstand why that's important. To me, I'm seeing that as like the Jacob's Ladder story. Like, oh, she's just fucking crazy. Is there something more to that? The purpose of it is really that the creators are trying to break down the stigma around discussing mental health in Japanese society. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like the inspiration for Lane as a character, her name, I learned this from a YouTuber called Hazel. Mm. Lane's name is a reference to a psychologist whose last name is Lang. I forget the guy's first name, but it's something that can be Googled. Who had a perspective on mental health and specifically type A mental illness, basically thought that it was 
a perspective of human understanding that the rest of us just didn't get. And personally believed that in the future, as we came to understand mental illness better, we wouldn't see it as an illness as much as an alternative mode of understanding reality mm. and was hoping that you know psychology would reach that point where the goal was not to make people healthy enough to function but make society healthy enough to understand people on the on the, on the edges yes i i must jump in here i i have very serious criticisms of like western concepts of mental health mm -hmm. like there's some cultures where if you're schizophrenic, it's not a bad thing because whatever your social environment is, the symptoms of that don't create a problem that we would call a disorder. Um, and it seems like in the West, there's problems because it impairs your ability to function within capitalism. Right. And that's why it's bad. Right. I mean, disorder is literally defined by not an inherent problem with mm -hmm. health, or at least in the modern age it is, but by the harm one experiences from not functioning in society. Mm -hmm. So the difference between disorder and just a perspective is whether or not society harms you for having that experience, for being neurodivergent. Mm. And I think to a certain extent, modern psychology, psychiatry respects that, but there are a bunch of people who aren't up to date with that definition. And I come at that from the perspective on from the perspective of someone on the autism spectrum, mm. but emphasizing I don't have autism spectrum disorder because for whatever reason, maybe it's because I'm vocal or whatever, I generally function. Yeah. But mm. I also experience a lot of dysfunction for the longest time this year, being the first year that that has really changed. I basically jumped from job to job every four months for my entire 20s until I started working for myself doing rideshare mm. and didn't have to be beholden to a boss. I had a social dysfunction brought on by an undiagnosed mental disposition for being neurodivergent. And so someone out there would call that a disorder. Yeah. Disorder is a social category more than it is a, a medical division line. And I absolutely agree with taking issue with the field of psychology and psychiatry. If you're going to define disorder, or if you're going to try to define it as an inherent value, rather than a limitation of our culture. I'm so glad you're back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think when you look at like psychiatric diagnoses, often they're a checklist of symptoms, but the big issue is whether it interferes with your work or your personal life. So kind of mm -hmm. by design, they are marking whether or not you can fit into society. But I do think when you discuss these things, it is important to remember that there is a vast spectrum, right? And I think there's some people who can function or would be able to function, you know, where all you need is like society to be a little more accommodating. And then I think, you know, there's like other people that, you know, their house might look like Lane's house in this episode and they're like shitting on the floor and like, you know, mm -hmm. it's not just that they don't fit in to society, but I think people can have delusions that so interfere with like the basic functioning of life that they cannot safely survive on their own. And I don't know, I, I, I just yeah. think that that's and something to like keep in mind too, that there is vast range of people, some of whom I think, 
you know, benefit from medication and a lot of support. And Right. I think that is absolutely true. And also to a certain extent, part of the modern shifts in how we look at mental health in that the stigma is lessening and people are more apt to say, you get to determine what is a harm to your personal life. And what is beneficial too. Mm -hmm. Right. And essentially, if we can decide for ourselves internally that something needs help, if we decide by our own standards what we consider a disorder that isn't beholden to social economic factors, but to purely individual factors, or maybe not even just individual, but like relational uh, factors with our specific circle or with our specific family, things that actually matter based on our own values, Mm. that becomes a broader, I'm going to use the word intertextual, but that's wrong, (laughs) Uh, an intertextual understanding where we get to contribute to the definition of disorder as we seek treatment. Mm -hmm. And that treatment and disorder are not themselves value judgments on a person. Mm -hmm. And I think that way before its time, before it had the language to explore those ideas, the main goal of Serial Experiments Lane was to extend this kind of modern, postmodernist empathy to people in situations of being neurodivergent or suffering mental illness of some kind that they can be accepted as they are and society neither needs to conform to nor reject them. So brings to my mind a kind of thesis statement on the mental health angle of the show. Let's say that Lane has a mental illness and she's going through an extended episode throughout the series, right? Well, the difference between it being real and not doesn't matter to her, right? It's happening to her. They say that right in the show. They say, which one's real? That doesn't matter anymore. And then to bring it back to this episode, our climactic scene in Lane's room where Alice comes in to kind of anchor her to her life, to physical reality, for most of the scene, Masami Eri, this ghost of him, is behind Lane. And Alice and uh, Masami are talking at Lane from different angles. But when Alice gets so close that she makes Lane touch her heart, part of Masami Eri manifests and Alice sees it. Mm-hmm. And like, we could say like, well, that's the proof that, you know, Lane's not mentally ill, that this really is happening. The literal story. Right. The literally, but metaphorically, if you're close enough to someone going through an episode like this or with a condition this severe, it is real to you in a way too. Mm-hmm. Right. Alice's empathy is off the charts. Yeah. Mm. She's experienced things with her instead of like for her or something, whatever the fucking phrase is. Bingo. Okay. This is an abstract thought. I'm just going to try to get it out. (laughs) Um, Do it. Is it explicitly said in the show that Lane has the vision impairment or is that something we piece together? That's something I'm taking away from how I looked at the early episodes, like one through three, because of how aggressively it plays with light and bloom Mm -hmm. and patterns on shadows. Okay. So that's where I was going. I think there's a a sound basis for that. It came up in our discussion on the first episode 
And what's interesting to me about that is uh, sometimes what society views as an impairment is actually what, a strength, an advancement, uh, mm-hmm. an advantage. So this is maybe a leap, but like hallucinogens, psychedelics, I will speak in defense of that in terms of being able to think in different ways that you're normally able to think. And Lane's able to see things other people can't see. Right. I think that's a profound theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether you take that literally or metaphorically, mm-hmm. it harkens back to like the earliest trope of uh, blind people in stories. Mm-hmm. Blindness is always used as a metaphor for wisdom, for seeing the truth when everyone else is distracted by incidental details. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to be really staunchly anti-drug mm-hmm. early 20s, you know, just getting out in the world. Now I think it's not so much a big deal, but I've also read and listened to a bunch of podcasts on research into psychedelic mushrooms and how how they're being applied in a medical setting to essentially give the brain a reset. Mm-hmm as treatment for uh, depression or other things that we that our society considers mental illness mm-hmm. and how the use of psilocybin, uh, they've been in practice in pharmacopoeia as shamanistic practices in human culture for forever. Millennia. And so it's like, why not? Why did we reject that? And it came really as a rejection of, spiritualism it came as part of the sort of the stepping stone of natural philosophy to actual scientific method but in trying to divorce itself from superstition and religion Mm. i think it probably went a step too far in saying nothing until it's proven and it's like well we limited how we understand the concept of proof and we didn't value experience as as a guide to actually then go and confirm things. Mm -hmm. And now we're in a period where we've spread that so far that we have to double back because we've created an unnecessary limitation of like what really counts. Was it produced in a lab? Like how thoroughly is it tested? That's extremely important for like general social policy for for civil engineering, but in terms of just advancement of knowledge in general like the value of experience and looking to culture and knowledge that is developed on a cultural level through those pre-wired connections between people, these modern looks into psychedelics is sort of needing to go back and remember lost cultural knowledge and bring it into our modern hermeneutics, our modern ways of viewing the world so that we can explain it in ways that make sense to us when it already made sense to the people using it back then, just with yeah. different concepts. There was a thing, thing we sort of lost, I think, through organized religion and sort of the loss of shamanism. And then a lot of that stuff got rediscovered by kind of scientists and anthropologists, you know, in the 20th century in the U.S., um, mm-hmm. peyote and uh, mushrooms yeah. were both kind of like discover, rediscovered like that and then written about by academics and stuff. And academics got really into it. And then I think, I don't know, in my kind of conspiratorial head, it seems like <laughs> because they got associated with hippies and the counterculture, then we decided, mm-hmm. oh, these drugs lead to counterculture. And so we need to like ban them and stop people from doing them. 
maybe it's just a moral panic about a new drug. And then the U.S. kind of imposed that on a bunch of other countries through trade agreements that forced those countries to ban them. But there's a a fun little drug factoid, which is that I think mushrooms stayed legal in Japan until like 95 or 2000 or something like that. In the way that like salvia and like, you know, sort of these weird new drugs are legal in head shops in the U.S., Mushrooms was a drug like that in Japan that just like slid under the radar. That's so awesome. To a certain extent, Japan's war on drugs, which they took from, you know, following America's lead, has kind of stuck around and it's still as stigmatized in Japan (laughs) as it kind of was in the 60s, 70s for us, where there's pro-counterculture and then general culture is like, oh, you did an ounce of weed? Time to jail for seven years. It's like, what? <laughs> when, when I was working there, I remember a coworker asked me if I had like smoked weed. And I was like, yeah, you know, we don't really like think it's that big of a deal. And then they're like, next question was like, have you done heroin? And I was like, <laughs> like in their head, like those things are like next to each other, you know? Oh, man. Like... <laughs> I'm so glad the questions I got when in Japan were like, do you have mayonnaise in America? <laughs> that, that's the kind of question I got. Uh, I oh, had little old ladies seeing if they could wipe the black off me on the train. <laughs> like I didn't have, I didn't have stuff like that. Well, this is an eventful day. Gosh. <laughs> but no, Blixa, um, on point though, yeah. like the the importance of not just the general intent of the series, but for Lane's centrality in the series as a person. Rather than using the term mental illness, I'd like, at least for the anime, highlight using the term like neurodivergence. Sure, yeah. And this is something you're helping me realize here is that her differing perception of reality is what allows the metaphorical, the conceptual aspects of the literal story of the anime take on meaning. So whereas people may not come to understand the metaphorical meta-narrative of the perspective of a person with neurodivergence, Mm -hmm. the fact that she has a different perspective is what bridges the gap and allows the average uh, viewer to start understanding really complicated, like unnecessarily complicated subjects like collective unconscious and transference and the hypertext of the internet overlaying on reality and all of this other stuff that sort of becomes more intuitive by understanding the literal story of the anime. Unless you misinterpret it and go, this is how you become God. (laughs) Just get really popular on social media. All right, so just concluding my thought here, I hate that idea, the perception of like people on the autism spectrum that they have superpowers because of that. My whole point was like, you know, my ADHD, my dyslexia, even me being transgender, it allows me to see things in a different perspective Sure, that are different from normies. I don't know, whatever the fuck. Neurotypicals. Non-anime fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like we, we are 10 past. I still have two mm-hmm. big ideas that we could probably just save for part two Picking of our discussion. The next one. Yeah. yeah I still want to talk about uh, incarnation and consciousness. Okay. Uh, is there anything that anybody needs to say about this episode in particular? Uh, just in case we cut all the stuff that we said during the episode. Oh my gosh, that 
like Masami Eri going full Akira and manifesting as this flesh monster <laughs> and then yeah. like overcoming him with her own computer. Oh my gosh, yeah. some of the best animation I've ever seen. That's where the budget. And how the imagery of that scene was very much internal in it collapsing inward, whereas in Akira, that sure. is an external explosion yeah. of the self. This is yeah. a collapsing and it's showing the God of the internet uh, the God of the Wired, he was trying to impose an understanding of reality and hyper-reality onto Lane that she rejected. Yeah. And so rather than him exploding out, uh, using her computers collapses that concept back inward. So fucking awesome. And then, of course, the Matrix imagery, Alice has the red coat, he has blue bandages, yeah. Lane chose the red pill, which was Alice, the person, and rejected the god of the wired who was trying to, I don't know, replace God because he thought he was hot shit. <laughs> this doesn't neatly tie in, but I don't know where to put it necessarily. Um, but I, I was uh, reading that I guess this aired at 1 a.m. on uh, TV Tokyo. So this was like the late night spot. But I think part of why the mental illness stuff is kind of all subtextual and they don't kind of address it directly in the show is that it was sort of like stigmatized stuff that you couldn't really put on TV. So it's like kind of mm. front and center in the game. It's a big part of it. It's interesting because there is a lot of like suicide in the show, which I guess that was fine. But sort of directly addressing the mental illness stuff was something that they felt like they couldn't do in the show. Uh, and the Allison Lane, this like potentially romantic, seems to be heavily hinted to be like mm -hmm. there may be the, some feelings there, at least on Lane's side. We've talked about that. Like that's also something that you couldn't really show, right? Yeah, and they like are past hinting at it, I think, in this episode, right? I mean, it's like... Yeah, yeah they don't kiss, but they get so close that you're like, they're going to kiss. Um, and then there's the whole heart hand holding thing. Yeah. yeah. It, it's it's very intimate. I respect any reading like that. Oh. I never see a romantic reading in anything. So <laughs> if romance isn't explicit for when I watch something, I basically just don't see it. Mm -hmm. And I consider it platonic romance. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I didn't feel like they're hinting at anything sexual to me it felt like the difference between like mainline religious dogma and like something that's more like like a gnostic perspective like uh conventional christianity would say like what what is it that makes god special omnipotence omnipresence whatever the fuck omnibenevolence yeah like it's power but versus like a, a Gnostic view that it's like love is what makes something divine mm -hmm. and that's what was happening mm -hmm. in this episode like Lane was choosing Alice. Mm. In the lead up to that, though, I feel like Alice thinks that Lane is like about to like make out with her when, mm -hmm. when Lane is like <laughs> leaning over and Alice is like backing yeah. up and stuff. Like, I mean, whether or not that's actually going on, I think that's at least how Alice is like reading yeah. the situation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're just horny. <laughs> You're not into computers. <laughs> you're just you're just horny. Uh, I mean, that's why I was, was specifically using the term romantic as opposed to uh, erotic. Sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's a distinction between a person um, between romanticism and sexuality. You know, a person can be um, aromantic and still sexual. A person can be asexual and still romantic. Yeah. 
or both or neither. And so I did see this as romance regardless. That's a good way to put it. And to that point, Ben, there is a little bit of that moment where when Lane was being creepy, (laughs) that probably wasn't the best time to try to be sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so let's get to watching the second one. And then, but when we come out of this Blixer, remember that you had two thoughts. Yeah, I've got it written down. All right, three, two, one, play. Oh my God, is that it? She's there in the wires all around you. So so Lane essentially made peace with her existence as something that is relational, that is based on just being a connection. Oh wow, so good. Yeah, wait, wait. I, I really liked what you just said. So is Lane like a sentient AI who like tried to be a person, but like she wasn't good at being a person. Then she's like, all right, I'll just be this sentient AI and like just do what I was meant to do and connect people and I'll stop trying to interfere with humans and I'll just observe them or something. Right. So she's essentially like she's accepted her role as my purpose is to connect people. And she has a connection to, I guess, what we're reading as the true God or the thing that the Wired was trying to connect to, which wasn't the God of the Wired that we were seeing before. Which appears as her father, not because it's literally that guy. Metaphorically, her vision of the father. I like that. (laughs) That's spot on from how I'm seeing this. So good. She's happy being connections. She doesn't need to be separate to be fulfilled. And all of the characters, when we were catching up with them, they were being presented with their most immediate connections. Yeah. Even after the time skip when we caught up with Alice and the boyfriend, they were always being presented in their groups. But even even the the guy, what's his name? Masami Eri. Yeah. He was in the process of self-actualizing. Yeah, he was going to quit because of the way they were treating him. Right. So rather than give up, he was choosing to make a different path and at least try to go form a connection somewhere else. He was breaking off a tie because his current connections weren't good. Wow. And so everyone was making positive steps because the situation of the experiment of Lane had been corrected. So so when the people are telling Lane, like, you don't need a body, give up your body, like, was that in a weird way? Like, that was actually the right message for her? Yes, but not in the way they meant it. Hmm. Like, she had to form her own conclusion about what that meant to be at peace. Yeah, because, like, her time that she spends in a corporeal body or just with a linear sense of time, I guess... That's what gives her the perspective to like be this embodiment of love. Right, right. She had to have that experience as a human. Yes. So that she could know, because she could have given up her body and done the version where the wired mixes with the real world. But by her experiences as a human, she learned not to do that and to keep wired separate. Yeah. Mm. I love that. And then everywhere, I didn't notice the thing about the connections, like Alice is with her friends, and then those other friends are together, and then Alice is with her husband. It's like everywhere there are connections, there is Lane, there is love, there is God. Mm. Yeah. And they show us the wires, they're like, there too, but you don't need that. 
it's this collective unconscious thing, which like, even if you don't think about that as like this wooji metaphysical thing, yeah. you can just think about like, you know, if you have a loved one across the country or overseas or even in the other room, there's a connection between the two of you, right? It's not anything right. physical, but it exists and it, it, and it actively affects reality, physical reality. Experience and memory are reality. Memory doesn't have to be saved in a chip to be real. Love it. Wow. Blixa, yeah. you have the stage. <laughs> yeah. Oh Incarnation. Thank you. God. Incarnation. All right. Let's get to the setup here. There was a montage early on about like the population and neurons and this idea of consciousness being emergent. Um, so Lane is like a program that was created, but in terms of being conscious, I feel like what they're saying is her consciousness emerged. Right. And, you know, there's this Shinto thing, like there's gods of everything, God of the river, God of the mountain. And as new things right. develop, like modern technology things, there's gods of those that emerge. Yes. Yeah, so sort of like animism or. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or like the God of the wired said that he created Lane, but maybe he just gave Lane an ego and Lane as God <gasps> of connections already existed mm. pre-wired. Uh, you said it better than I was going to. I'm muddling. <laughs> like, like the thoughts are forming faster than the words are getting chosen. Mm -hmm. But there's this really interesting idea that I like. Emergent consciousness. Like right now, what a weird idea it is. Like the human pop. What did we hit like 8 billion recently? Mm -hmm. What if there's something to that, that there's this world consciousness, but we don't have access to it or something, or maybe only in some subtle way, a spiritual way. I don't know. I, I know I talked about Erica Seven last time I was on. <laughs> yes, you did. But I'm going to bring that up again. In that show, it's called The Limit of Questions. And it is essentially that when the planet Earth reaches a certain population, the emergent consciousness of a species comes to represent the consciousness of the planet. And there is a whole subset, an alternate form of life forms that aren't humans called Corallians mm -hmm. that specifically because they didn't want to exceed the limit of questions and break down their egos, their like understanding of themselves went dormant, yet it still kind of happened. They're, they kind of exist in a limbo of mm -hmm. emergent collective, not unconsciousness, mm -hmm. consciousness, and humanity is either trying to learn to work with that and come to understand emergent relationships of consciousness from a global perspective, as opposed to from an individual ego perspective, mm -hmm. or the other side is just trying to blow them all up and say, I don't want to deal with that. I'd rather control it. It, it is a very hard concept because it's not tangible. I don't know how to work with it because even if it's true, how do we engage with That's it? That's exactly what I was going to ask. Okay. So I come from a Christian tradition. I mentioned Jacob's Ladder earlier, the, the fucking movie, but that name comes from the Old Testament. The prophet, or not the prophet, patriarch Jacob has the visions of angels ascending and descending about this connection between human and divine. And like, that's kind of the big thing here. Like, what if there is this world consciousness? How do we engage with it? 
there are these barriers, the separation. And here's Lane, who's the God of connection. Mm. How do we connect? Like if we go with the Christian tradition, there's an incarnation that happens because that's, that's how finite humans can be able to understand and have some type of relationship with something that's on these magnitudes of infinity in every possible way. God loved man so much that he became man. Yeah. And in that scene where Masami Eri says that he created her, she sort of like implies like, what do you think allowed you to create me? Mm. So she starts saying like, maybe God did create me. Like you were just like the tool that God used Mm -hmm. to create me this like human personified form or something like that. right? Right. So I think the show kind of at least like plays with the idea that it is like God that created Lane in this Jesus kind of way. He had a goal of sort of subplanting the concept of God that came before him. Like he had a recognition that he wasn't the general omnipotent, omnipresent, omnibenevolent God, but he also didn't believe that that God was real. He thought that by coming into actual existence later, that he was more real, hyper real, and ended up giving an ego to a thing, laying God of connection to sort <laughs> who kind of realized through that ego that something had to have made him as a power possible. Again, taking from a Gnostic idea, it would make the God of the internet thinks it's God, but is not the act, like not the <laughs> supreme God, but just an emanation of God, a tool that is being mm-hmm. used towards an eventual change, a further esoteric connection through ritual mm-hmm. later on. And in this case, the esoteric connection is not ritual chanting or shamanistic practices, but technology. Mm-hmm. It's the transference concept, but not individual into the computer. It is the collect the collective of humanity as a whole connected to the higher emergent consciousness or the, the fundamental nature of reality and understanding that's beyond an individual's ability to express because it is inherently esoteric. It's non-rational, but it's still knowledge. Hey, so some of that went over my head. Yeah, you, 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 you <laughs> thank you. Like the god of connection and the god of the internet, and I was sort of wondering: Oh, is is Airy sort of like the god of the internet, and Lane is the god of connection? Right, and she's like saying like connection is this bigger circle in the Venn diagram. The internet is just like this little piece of connection, which is like human connection. And then all this technological stuff that we've done to like speed up connection. But like, hey, you think you're like hot shit, but like, like you're nothing, whatever. This is just like the next small step in like our human connection project or whatever. Right. And I keep calling that Masami Eri the god of the internet, because I kind of view that as a different character than the Masami Eri person. Hmm. Yes, yes. Because to me, they just behave very differently. They seem like separate people, despite visually sharing a face. Yeah. But like, I know that explanation I just went on was um, gonzo, because (laughs) when you're trying to discuss esoteric knowledge, 
the, the basic foundation of what is called esoterica from a philosophical perspective is any knowledge or understanding that is gained without the use of rationality or human faculty. Oh my. So if you can gain knowledge through ritual or through sudden revelation, mm -hmm. there are a bunch of different directions for esoterica to go. But the fundamental concept of esoteric knowledge is that you cannot arrive to it rationally or through experience. There is a gap between human capability and sudden knowing. So this is changing the topic a little bit, but I guess connected in terms of memory. So, so what do we think is going on with Alice in this episode? Does Alice remember Lane and like what happened? Like it kind of felt like she yeah. did in that school scene, but then it seems like maybe as an adult, she'd sort of like forgotten or... Well, memory fades with age. Yeah, That's true. But I, I feel like there's a deja vu kind of thing going on. Like everyone experienced the reset, but because Atlas was so close to Lane, something was missing. She might not have had like the memory of Lane, but she her brain was trying to remember something that wasn't there anymore. Whereas everyone else was far enough away from Lane personally that they didn't have that empty space. Hmm. You, do you got do you know what um the meaning behind the feeling of deja vu in, in French culture is essentially when you experience deja vu, it is the feeling of remembering what is happening right now. Right. And it is considered culturally to be an indicator that you are exactly where you are supposed to be in life. Interesting. <laughs> that all is right in oh the world gosh. or in your life at this moment. And you experienced deja vu because you simply felt like you remembered exactly what needed to be right now. Hmm. That's actually, I think the, uh, I don't know how you would verify this, but I know there's sort of a neuroscience theory that it's like your brain is a little bit out of sync. So you form the memory and then you kind of mm -hmm. remember the memory kind of before you realize that you formed the memory or so you're yeah. like, where am I remembering this from? And it uh, is like <laughs> from right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So um, Lane seems like a savior figure. She sacrifices herself in the sense of like erasing herself from physical reality. Yeah. The Jesus uh -huh. metaphor. She hung herself on the cross. But I feel like in traditional Japanese fashion, this savior isn't singular. I feel like the picture of our savior here is two people that are connected. So Lane and Alice. So I mean, I guess there's some duality in like the Christ metaphor, like Christ is fully human and fully divine in one thing. And I feel like Alice is our ambassador of full humanity and Lane is our ambassador for maybe not divinity, but like whatever this wired stuff is. The bridge between humanity and the other emergent thing. So I feel like what we're seeing is um, a communal savior. I don't know. That's a little rough. I, I get that because Lane was connections. The only reason she is expressed as an ego, as an individual at all, is because the misguided antagonist said, you need to be singular. And Lane herself rejected that. Mm -hmm. Lane said, mm -hmm. no, I don't need to be singular. I can be connections. All right. I'm into it. <laughs> okay. So it is after 10. My, my final thoughts. I feel like this was very, very eventful. 
we started out, Ben was a little bit open to conspiratorial thought. Wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Wasn't expecting body <laughs> horror. Um, good show. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to sit with me for a while. Yeah. Like, I, it feels like something that no matter how much I think about it, I'm not going to settle on a belief about what it actually means. I do I do feel like we got somewhere. I don't know. That I have a more coherent view of this show than I was expecting to. So I'm glad that like, yeah, we did this and went through it. And I think the stuff we were saying tonight made sense <laughs> to me right now. Did I completely derail like the previous 11 episodes. I mean, we didn't, we didn't have some like theory that we were like running with hard. I think we just kept on like jumping back and forth being like, what is this? What's going on? But yeah. I, I think it lined up well. The past is merely prelude. It does not dictate what we do in the moment. <laughs> I like that. So I had one uh, kind of summing up thought just because we hadn't mentioned it when we talked about the different like levels of God, like this father figure and then Lane and then Masami Iri kind of under her and um, it made me think of Hinduism. So like the top God in Hinduism is Brahma, right? Which is the creator. And it's like the embodiment of everything. It doesn't have like personality or any of those things. It's too high of a plane of being for that, right? It's often translated as the self. Wow. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Ego. <laughs> And so the different aspects of it, and we see this not just in Hinduism, but we see this in like every religion, pantheistic, like the other gods, they're all more specific to a fundamental force or an idea or even a technology, right? Like in Greece and in Hinduism, we find gods that are like the god of wine because like technology mm. increased. We had a new concept and then some prophet, some priest, some thing assigned a personality and assigned a right. name to this, uh, this like force that, or this idea. Made it relatable to our experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of like the in-between space of the divine, like this knowledge or something that, like that idea, like we're all born knowing everything. And I don't know that that's it, but like, you know, if our consciousness comes from the same place, well, then we were part of something that is the omnipresent, omni, uh, uh, omniscient uh, uh, experience or existence. A anyways, and we talked a little about this in a, a previous episode, but you need that in-between space because us as physical beings, we can't go up there to the realm of the divine. And those bigger deities, like the father that we saw in this, like Brahman, they can't inhabit physical space either. And Lane would be this concept of like connections. And then below her, M Masami Iri, there's like the prophet Masami Iri, who's the coder. And then there's the god of the internet, Masami Iri, who like he kind of prophesizes himself, but he's also the envoy of Lane. Anyways, that's a little here and there, but that, that was my last <laughs> thought I wanted to put in there. Thank you. I, yeah. And I think there is like, I think we saw this in Frank's too, but like sort of this, and then maybe a little bit in Evangelion, this like these things about, you know, the self versus the collective and, you know, Brahma being this sort of like collective consciousness. And then there's your personal consciousness. And it's like, in a lot of religious tra traditions, it's sort of like, well, give up your personal, that's just your ego, that's just whatever, mm -hmm. that's in the way of you and divinity. And I think something I've always struggled with in that philosophy is like, well, if you really believe that, then like, like, why are you still here on earth? And I think they have mm -hmm. like various, like, I think in Hinduism, it's like the concept of Dharma. And it's like, there's some purpose that you have for you right now from your 
limited perspective. And so your job is sort of to fulfill that purpose right now. Mm -hmm. You could explore that idea a little bit further by going into Buddhism and exploring the difference of belief between greater wheel Buddhism, Mahayana Buddhism, and lesser wheel Buddhism, Hinayana, which basically is the difference between a person achieving the Buddha mindset and nirvana individually by sacrificing and separating themselves from ego and becoming in flow with the true state of reality. Whereas Mahayana is more about those people contributing to an ongoing process to share good karma and mm. elevate everyone to that position and people purposefully staving off separation and purposefully acting as connection uh, to bring everyone along with them. That's what a bodhisattva is. It's a person who says, no, no, I'm not going to nirvana. I'm going to stay in between and share karma and wait until everyone all at once as they are can reach or connect with that esoteric nirvana concept. And to a certain extent, there is a little bit of expression of cycles, you know, the cycle of samsara in serial experiments lane, but it's all an active choice by lane. There's the first concept we spend most, the first reality we spend most of our time with, the then unified reality of the hyper-real and the real being combined, and then the closing reality where lane has separated the wired not as an upper layer, but as the connections between just another aspect of the overall project of human connection and how that relates to the divine is left more vague and up for interpretation, something to be felt rather than defined as or solved. Oh my gosh, that's such a Japanese idea. <laughs> and like my favorite story in Hindu culture is Indra and the March of Ants. And it's sort of teaching Indra to accept his role to himself as Indra, but also to recognize that there are many reiterations of Indra over each cycle of reality. And so from Lane's perspective, as a person who keeps existing in different ways in different cycles, and essentially how everyone else does the same thing whenever Lane changes how we're going to try this reality thing again. There's sort of an acceptance of this liminal space between I am the ego, I am this lane, but also lane is this concept that plays out multiple times and in different ways. Mm. Again, trying to bridge the gap between the idea of the ego, the individual self, and the self Brahma, like the concept of permanent reality in general, or Buddhism's take, which is uh, no self, which is just like, nah, no permanence. Yeah, I, I, I was trying to figure out, like, I mean, it does seem like a lot of the anime that we've watched on this show hits on these themes. Uh, I think I might be mistranslating. Sorry, Atman is self, not Brahma. Okay. And that's like the okay. higher self that persists throughout different reincarnations in the samsara cycle. But I think it's like an aspect of Brahma or something. But yeah, it seems like this stuff 
comes up in these different ways in these shows. Like there's all this stuff about sort of like the individual versus the collective. And, and yeah. it seems like it's sort of hitting on these themes from Eastern religion. And I'm trying to figure out if that's just, those are the ones that we've self-selected to watch. Like, like we're sort of personally interested in these themes on some level. And that's why we enjoy these animes and are mm-hmm. watching them. Or if it's something that like, you know, if you looked in depth hard enough like it's sort of like this tradition of stories and legends that permeate um a lot of of anime in a way that wouldn't necessarily be true in in kind of more western art forms you know what i'm saying it's memes my dude it's memes (laughs) you you're talking about cultural connections over time and it's general like it's general permutation through a culture like the S in strand stands for strand. Like it's, it's memes, cultural ideas are connections. And like the, the concept of the meme relies on that, that connections cause ideas to spread and change and grow. They retain their, like their original value, but they're always different in every iteration. So I think the fact that you guys, the we, because I'm I'm on here again now. It's a we. Uh, keep running into these conversations is because these ideas matter to people. And as new ideas come into the conversation, when a person goes, "Boy, this internet thing sure is happening real fast. What do we think about that? Can I make a show about it?" They're going to take the new idea and try to see how it interacts with the values that they already hold. Mm. And this show just happened to get a little bit more meta because they know that they're consciously exploring the idea of connections between the before and the now of changing concepts and new ideas. Oh my God, I'm having such a trippy thought right now. Whatever there is like a world mind, a collective consciousness and like Mm -hmm. there is a, a form of communication between it and us, but it's like, a dog owner and their dog it's clumsy at best and like what if like mm-hmm. this meme thing is one of the ways of communicating like this that, that there's a common idea that's emergent that several people experience independently like whoever wrote mm-hmm. lane uh the warkowski's writing the matrix or whatever the fuck else yeah simultaneous invention it's sometimes called like paper and the wheel and fire were all discovered by people at generally the same time in different parts of the world without any ability for them to have connection. Pottery and bronze working, they all generally arose everywhere at about the same time, but always in a specific Uh. location and then spread throughout the surrounding cultures. But it was never just invented in one place. I say never, but I'm speaking a little bit too broadly. Some things like paper and and like gunpowder were invented in China and just China and then spread out. But then paper adjacent things like papyrus were invented elsewhere without that influence. Going back to the the Matrix example, I mean, I I think there is that happening sort of on this practical level where, you know, it's like, Probably the creators of Lane and The Matrix both watched Ghost in the Shell and Evangelion and like, like you know, like hmm. you have these influences that are out there new in the world and, you know, like maybe 
with something like agriculture or something, it's like, well, the last ice age ended and like now the land is like fertile for stuff to be grown. And, you know, it's just sort of this random process of people figuring it out. But it's like you couldn't figure it out before you got to that stage. So, well, sci-fi as a genre was very interconnected in the 90s and 2000s between the U.S. and Japan. Mm -hmm. There were there were tons of exchanges. Okay, maybe there's no collective consciousness then. Yeah. (laughs) There's not. Sorry, I didn't know those were like fighting words. I'm actually bringing up all of these things to say that why not? Like, yeah, Ben, why not? If we're going to apply a Christian lens, the phrase is God works in mysterious ways. The communication of the esoteric thing to the individual is not fully understood by the very nature of what it means to be an esoteric thing. The communication may be there, and we'd have no ability to recognize it, to confirm or deny it. And from the perspective of rationality, of defining something as a thought or a concept, we can't just do that on our own. But if there is such a thing, and we can make the jump, we can leap the gap of rationality into esoteric knowledge, then maybe there actually is a function that's just outside of knowing that there is epistemology and a limit to epistemology. And maybe sometimes people just have an idea and they don't know how they have it, but it happened. And maybe that's a higher order thing like coming down, or maybe it's a bottom up thing that our brains are working hard and it happens before our consciousness catches up. I'm having an existential crisis. <laughs> Lane will do that to you. In terms of the influences and, and stuff being connected, something I thought was funny, I read a um, an interview with two of the creators at like an anime convention in the U.S., and they brought up two things that we've brought up in talking about this, where they asked them if it was influenced by Jacob's Ladder. Um, they said like, no, but then in explaining a summary, they were like, oh, there's like, you know, a lot of similarities between these stories. And then they also asked if it was influenced by Snow Crash, which they said that like they hadn't read, but like late in the production process, someone on the team did read it and was like, oh, this is like a really cool book. <laughs> and then they asked, was it influenced by Snow Piercer? <laughs> and they were like, hell yeah, I love trains. <laughs> But, you know, it's like even if you're not directly like even if you don't directly consume the things like, I don't know, maybe you just had a conversation with someone who read Snow Crash or something like that. Right. And then you have the thing that inspired. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like like there are just like these ideas that are permeating out through the network. If it's top down, it means that there's something greater and romantic that we can all connect with. If it's bottom up, that means human potential is more than we realize. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And either of those conclusions are awesome. Mm -hmm. It is awesome. I'm getting high from this discussion. (laughs) (laughs) As an ending thought, I do like the last line of Lane on the bridge. And she says something like, you know, like, I'll like always be here or something like that. And I sort of like that Mm -hmm. as her as this like God figure. And then also... Mm -hmm sort of in the meta way, like, like we just went through this thing together and this anime is here whenever you want to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And, um, uh, oh, real quick, uh, do you have a, a recommendation uh, if people liked Serial Experiments Lane? Uh, 
the first run of the Kokaku Kidotai, the Ghost in the Shell manga. Yeah. Because the manga volume one, uh, not the anime adaptation because it's a different story, is absolutely in the same line as transference and your consciousness in a machine and what that means for reality. So get on it. Solid recommendation. Okay, cool. So let's try this. Go ahead. Flixa. Okay. Pen. Pen. Pals. Let's love. Love it. Okay. And let's do one more. Oh, do we have to do pen and pals again? Yeah. Oh, All right. Good. Good. Pen. Pen. Pals. Present day! Present time! <laughs> <laughs>